The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. All right, my buddy Jim Burris, Bird Dog Society. How we doing today? Doing great, Nick. How are you? I'm living the dream as always. We we haven't <laughs> we haven't really uh, gotten a chance to to speak or catch up since the uh, St. Hubert's trial a few weeks ago, and uh, I know that that event was uh, it really resonated with a lot of folks. What what was kind of your uh, feelings and interpretations of it leaving the event? Yeah, you know that uh, that event you know was kind of uh, coordinated uh, uh, by uh, Terry Ann Fernando and Grayson Geyer, and uh, uh, you know mainly, and it and I had little to do with it, and so I kind of didn't know what to uh, what to what to think going into it. But you know everything about that event exceeded my expectations, and uh, you know just went ran so well the community that you know we were able to pull together. Uh, I mean we had people from um, New York and you know, Pennsylvania and, and DC area and Georgia and stuff. And uh, I was just great to see so many different people from different areas, different disciplines, um, you know, flushers and pointers and stuff come together and just, you know, have a good time. Um, you know, talk about bird dogs, talk about hunting and, you know, puppies and stuff like that. And, you know, it just kind of really, um, brought everything that, you know, bird dog society is trying to do, you know, kind of full circle and, and, and to help build that community and, and be inclusive, to you know all the different um, um sanctions and and just to kind of you know get out and enjoy the you know work with the dogs and and the dogs had a blast i mean you think about how much fun we had the dogs had even more fun and um you know what the one thing i regret is uh that i didn't run menu both days because you know it was it was so much fun not only for me but you know for 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 Manu, um, you know, getting out there and, and, you know, it's been a while since he's got to, to smell a chucker. Um, and so, uh, just kind of getting out there and, and just kind of, um, yeah, um, having fellowship with, you know, fellow bird dog people and, and not having some kind of, you know, overarching agenda. You know, we had good food too. That always goes a long way. Oh, yeah. you know, and, and the people that camp there and, you know, you know, there, there was just an, I mean, I'm, I'm nuance about, you know, kind of the whole weekend that, you know, I think that unless you were there, it's kind of hard to, hard to understand. So, yeah. you know, it's, it was a great event and, you know, I'm glad that, uh, you know, BDS was able to help be a part of it and, um, you know, and we're, uh, we're kind of putting the wheels in the motion to, uh, um, to hopefully uh, do that event again next year, uh, working on, uh, uh, establishing a committee and 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 discussing it with the, all the you know, people that were involved with it this year uh, to try to figure out you know what we need to do to make this event bigger and better and and, and kind of still keep that uh, camaraderie um, and you know kind of um, you know just you know, coming together is for a good weekend of, of spending time with dogs and spending time with fellow hunters and trainers and and stuff like that and so you know we we definitely want to try to maintain that atmosphere uh, because you know that uh those are times where you have discussions you really get to know people and you really get to know you know what they're all about and and, and you make friends that you know last for a lifetime uh that you you would never met and it's hard to think that you know you can become best friends with someone just uh by meeting them and spending a, a weekend with them but uh this is definitely a, the type of event where stuff like that happens so yeah i mean just any opportunity to kind of be around other people with a shared interest you know what what you kind of said mirrored so much of of what it sounded like not just myself or grayson or jake who i did that kind of hang 
out episode uh, recapping it afterwards you know there there is such thing as kind of recency bias you know you can be riding that high from an event and we recorded right afterwards but it, it's it, it's good to hear from yourself and and uh, some of the people that I judge and, and I ran with they've been reaching out they they seem to really have enjoyed it and, and we're a couple weeks removed now and uh, it's really interesting just from that episode alone and just getting the word out how many people have reached out from a number of states and areas and different backgrounds and, and their goals. And again, what we talked about in that hangout episode was how many people came to the event that it was their first bird dog event of any kind. Uh, I'm having more and more people reach out. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are kind of piecing together and get trying to get the wheels in motion and figure out what this looks like in the future, because I, I think it did exceed everybody's expectations. And I, I would look, I'm excited to see what you guys can possibly do with it moving forward. And of course, you know, you and I have spoken about, you know, if there's any other way that I, I can help with it moving forward, I'd like to if, if possible. But uh, it's just I always love getting around new ideas, trying something new and, and to your point, just meeting new people because, you know, the upland hunter as a whole or even dog individual, we kind of I don't know if you want to just kind of paint us with general broad strokes, but it's like so many of our, at least interests, you know, everybody's background and values and how they perceive things are always different, but there's always those common threads connecting us, you know, first and foremost for, I, I would say the most of us are the dogs, you know, bird dog society, you do it for the dogs. I do GDIY yeah. for the dogs. Uh, but also like there's so much commonalities between so much of us that have just that common interest of dogs that spans a little further, be it, you know, just other hobbies, you know, you're always, we always talk about like the commonalities between upland hunters and fly fishing or, you know, old literature, books, guns. I know I'm speaking your language because I know you're kind of a nut on all, all of these <laughs> things, but I'm sure that you had a number of the conversations around all of those topics and subjects over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the great things, you know, kind of to, we had people there that mainly just do AKC, people that mainly just do NAVDA, people that mainly just hunt or just do field trials or, uh, or, or don't do any of it. Or, you know, they, they're, they're just guides and their dog has never been off of a preserve before. And, and so it was just great to, great to see all those different groups come together and, 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 you know, that commonality of the dogs. And the reason why we were there is all, you know, kind of goes back to the dogs. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's just, those are our people. And, and so the, the, the conversations kind of go all over the place and, um, you know, books and hunting and, and, and bourbon and <laughs> tequila, uh, you know, various <laughs> kinds of alcohol, whatever your beverage is there. But, um, but, you know, just to kind of, a, also just a, a shout out to H Cooper black field trial grounds. Uh, those are phen phenomenal grounds and, uh, the grounds itself exceeded our expectations and, um, you having a campground right there next to the clubhouse and right on the field trial grounds uh, was just an added, added bonus because, you know, once the field trial was over, most of the time, you know, you go to a tester field trial and, you know, once it's over, everybody's in a hurry to leave and, and nobody wanted to leave that event. And, you know, a lot of people are staying right there. And so, you know, it was just like a, a full weekend of just, um, you know, loving on bird dogs and, 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 and just having a good time. So, yeah, yeah. we definitely want to try to, you know, put something together, or at least, uh, make an effort to, uh, um, uh, have this event next year as well. So, well, hopefully we can kind of bottle or capture whatever, you know, the made this special, but, and, and repeat it and, and recapture it and kind of make it a recurring thing. But, but I think we've already kind of touched on it. Ultimately it's like, while we all love the dogs and everything, it was the type of people that showed up, uh, that, that really made it what it is. And, and this is something uh, as we kind of hopped on here to kind of give everybody an update on the bird dog society, like we have for the past, you know, over a year at this point, it's hard to believe we've been doing this, these little updates for over a year. But, uh, you and I spoke about like, let, we need to lean into the commonalities and what brings us together so that, you know, maybe it, you know, again, referring back to that conversation, myself, Grayson and, and Jake had is like, there's so much in this world that kind of divides and, and sends everybody into their own corners. But, you know, back to the commonalities and the shared interests, you, you embody all of those stereotypes 
if you will. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, you've kind of, I'm kind of, uh, to be perfectly honest with with everybody, I'm kind of a shallow person when it comes to the depth of my interest when it comes to this. Like, I, I'm not the uh, I, I don't you know, I don't have time. I, I would love to get into fly fishing a little bit more. Uh, but I also, you know, I'm not the the biggest gun nut outside of the functionality. I've spoken about that before in the bourbon and the books. But you've kind of brought up a number of things on each one of these. that kind of piqued my interest, especially you the literature piece, like you, you collect the, the, I mean, really like a lot of the pieces that have been around for decades, like 50, 70 years. And, uh, just, just your knowledge on what it is that you collect and why, like, I I would like to dive a little bit into that right now is for those listening, kind of talk about just the interest in the literature and the books overall. Like, what is it appealing? What is so appealing about it to you? Yeah, for me, you know, a lot of people kind of reminisce about, you know, if, if I was able to be around 100 years ago and hunt and stuff like that, um, of course, you know, until until Back to the Future becomes a reality, um, you know, and you have a time machine, it's impossible to go back 100 years. Um, but, you know, through books, you, you can go back 100 years or 150 years or 200 years. Um, you know, I've got books that go back to the 1800s and talk about, you know, driving on a, uh, well, really back then, <laughs> you'd be walking on a road or in a horse trailer and, and seeing flocks of passenger pigeons that literally block out the sun. And, you know, you're traveling for 30 miles and a flock of passenger pigeons going over, um, you know, never, you know, it never dissipates. It's just constant. And to think that that's a bird that's extinct now, it just kind of, those kind of things is fathom. I'm, you know, it's, it's hard for me to fathom, uh, birds of that number. And, and to think that, you know, there was such great pressure on those birds that now they're, um, they're no longer, uh, and it was a great sporting bird, great eating bird. And that was their downfall. And they were easy to, you know, people would shoot into a flock of passenger pigeons and, you know, they might shoot literally a, bird with every pellet you know they shoot out and um you know those kind of things you have a quick toll um and there's a lot of other birds that kind of suffered to market hunting and and that kind of you know it'll never be depleted type attitude um you know you think about some of them you know the atwater um chickens and 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 uh, um and stuff like that that you know we'll, we'll never get to experience um been but the only way you, know, you would even have a glimpse into that is is, is through the literature uh that we have from those times and, and so for me you know i just like to there's a lot of authors i like to follow just because of the regionality uh where i grew up and where i grouse hunted um and and then just the history of it all um you know i I started collecting books because I, I have a personal connection with George Bird Evans and started you know, collecting his books and I have all of, of his books now. Um, but that just kind of, you know, I really got into the history of it and, and reading about the, the old times and the way they things did things differently. And even just the way they cooked the birds and, and you know, some of those recipes, I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, I've not tried some of them and I, I can't imagine, you know, eating the entrails of a woodcock spread over toast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's, there's the things that are appealing to me. And, 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 and even, um, you know, I'm originally from West Virginia, just hearing about the forest that used to be around um, and, you know, the, the scale of logging and the size of the trees, you, you can't even imagine that without reading it because there's no pictures. And you go, you know, you go to um, Canaan Valley or Dolly Sodge or something like that. Now you, it's hard to find a tree that's over 30 or 40 feet tall. And they're, they're talking about trees coming out of there 70, 80 feet tall. Mm. And it's just like, it just, I don't know. It's just, it takes you back to a whole nother world. And then, you know, you got, uh, I like to, you know, if at all possible, some of them are quite expensive and rare, but, you know, if I can get a first edition signed copy of a book and knowing that, you know, that person, you know, I, I, if I really read a book and really connect it to it, a lot of times I'll just rest my hand right below their signature where their hand was rested. And it kind of just adds a whole nother connection to the book. Um, you know, um, then, you know, another, I did a post just recently on my social accounts, uh, I got a book here. Um, this one, I posted this one, Scrouse Magic by Nick Cecily. Um, and they include, a, some of the books will include a, a, a grouse feather, a tail feather in the book that you can use as a bookmark. And so, I mean, 
to to be reading the book and then sometimes you where where the grouse feather is from you actually read the story in the book and just to, that just is a physical connection to actually what's in the book and it's just such things like that are just you know so cool to me and i just you know um, want to kind of cherish it and, and preserve it and you know hopefully hand it down someday so yeah well and i mean it, it, it's it's easy to forget that you know when you compare to what we do now, it's like we have these podcasts, we have these videos, we, we have all these recordings that our story and our time is going to be the most documented time in the history of man. And, and so it's, it's easy to forget that in times past, all of these examples, it, it, it would be lost if somebody did not sit down and take the time to actually put their thoughts and words on paper. And so I, I think it's, it's really interesting and fascinating when you, when you look at these books as instead of trying to learn something, which you can obviously from other people's experience, but just take the snapshot in time and history that it is what it is. You know, you, you talk about the p- passenger pigeons. While I haven't, I didn't read the book. I, I listened to the audiobook version that Project Upland put out on Foster's New England Grouse Shooting. I, I see it behind you. And to your point, just how he painted that picture of the passenger pigeons back in the day, it, it's, it's hard to imagine and fathom because we don't have an actual visual representation of what it was back then. And so it's, I love talking to people such as yourself to where maybe, obviously I don't have that bug yet. I could easily see myself falling into it of collecting these, these uh, literally just snapshots in time, but just really your appreciation for the first edition. And you can hear it in your voice just about like how they actually signed and notated the books. You know, it's something that like, it really mirrors how a lot of people talk about their shotgun collections or the shotgun they inherited from their dad or, or whatever is it's, it's fascinating to just kind of hear your appreciation for, you know, lost, lost stories pretty much. Yeah. And kind of that book that you're looking at there right here, uh, new England grouse shooting. Um, you know, I like to try to find not only the books that are just kind of, first edition signed, but ones that kind of have a little bit of a story behind them. Um, and, you know, New England grouse shooting, that book was published after uh, William Harden Foster passed away unexpectedly. Um, so he didn't even get to see the kind of the success of the book and the impact that it would have on, on people. And so you can't get a first edition signed copy of, you know, New England grouse shooting uh, from William Harden Foster. Um with a book here I have um, is actually signed by William Harden Foster Jr. His son uh, was actually signed, this particular book was signed to Roland Coleman, who was the former president of Remington Arms. Um, and so those are the kind of stories I really love too. Um, you know, if I could find a book that has a story behind it. Um, I've got a George Bird Evans book. Uh, it's actually a Troubles with Bird Dogs book. Um, he, uh, he published two books. Um, titled Troubles with Bird Dogs. Um, but one of the books I had purchased from a guy who had an old hemlock setter. Um, he uh, he lived up in Wisconsin. And uh, uh, I, I bought uh, his whole collection of, of George Bird Evans books from him. And he uh, he sent a, a note. And he was like, I'm sorry that the one book is damaged. It's got the corner chewed off of it. And uh, he was reading it, fell asleep in his chair. And when he woke up, his uh, old hemlock setter had chewed the corner <laughs> off of it. And uh, I was like, that is perfect. You know, without the story, it's damaged. And, you know, I would, I would probably replace it. But now that book has value to me because there's a story behind it. You know, this is a guy that, you know, had old hemlock setters. And, uh, you know, that is a connection to George Bird Evans himself. And uh, so those are the kind of stories that, you know, uh, uh, I really like to, to find in books and um another one of the the books here you know a lot of people like burton spiller um you know this book right here um is burton spiller's first edition firelight um and uh this book is signed to philip babcock uh, who's another well-known author from that time um you know they published a lot of books with dairy dell press which if you're a collector you know you're most people are, are familiar with Derry Dell and, and first edition books from um, Derry Dell Press um, are, are usually very sought after. Uh, but this particular book was was signed to Philip Babcock from um, 
uh, Burton Spiller. Uh, and so, you know, then you get, you know, this, you know, exchange of, of books from one well-known author to another. And you, you just kind of imagine the conversation that comes with it. Hey, read my book. Oh, here, <laughs> here's my book. And he had to read that. And, um, you know, I've got, uh, uh, other books that just kind of have, um, you know, newspaper clippings kind of inserted in them that, you know, you get the book and, you know, it's kind of a pleasant pr- surprise to see it. Um, I've got one book that was, um, was given as a gift, uh, and the book used to belong to, um, uh, the director of the U S fish and wildlife services back in the day. Um, and he has a typed letter in there, uh, talking about, you know, kind of his work. And this was right before he, he resigned and, um, you know, he talked about, you know, what he liked and didn't like about the U S fish and wildlife service, which I'll keep that confidential. Um, <laughs> but you know, just those kind of, kind of things that just, you know, adds a whole nother element to, to these books, you know, outside of the, the history, because then you get a personal aspect, um, to the author. Um, and, and, and kind of really kind of on a, on an update for BDS, you know, we have a workshop coming up in, in May, um, up in Bruceton Mills, West Virginia. Uh, where George Bird Evans was uh, uh, had his homestead, uh, where we'll be um, talking about um, triaging traumatic injuries with bird dogs, looking at field uh, first aid kits, uh, first aid um, you know kind of training for bird dogs, and then um, then I'll be giving a presentation on um, removing your dogs from traps and stuff like that. Um, and of course, you Nick will be given a presentation on the you know, dealing with uh, porcupines and skunks and snakes and stuff oh, like yeah. that, and avoidance training. But really, the, the workshop is titled Troubles with Bird Dogs, and, and that's a homage to uh, George Bird Evans himself, who, you know, he lived the lifestyle that you and I are living now, uh, and is very passionate about it. Uh, it but we're going to have the workshop actually at George Bird Evans' homestead uh, at the old Hemlock Foundation, which we're grateful that, you know, they um, they, they they bought onto this idea and, and are allowing us to have the workshop there. But, you know, part of the workshop is actually uh, doing a tour of uh, George Bird Evans and Kay Evans' um, um, home, uh, Old Hemlock. Um, and so you kind of get to have that personal connection uh, with George and, and Kay, you know, kind of as we're in Old Hemlock, um, talking about all the troubles you might have with bird dogs. Um, now, the context of how we're doing the workshop is, you know, if you run into emergencies with your dog how do you you know deal with them uh george's books troubles with bird dogs or more if you run into training problems with your dogs, <laughs> right. how do you deal with them uh, semantics but, uh, semantics yeah. <laughs> uh but nonetheless you know if you if you gun to the uh, degree that george bird evans gunned and and what you really you and i gun uh over bird dogs you're going to run into trouble at some point and and you know part of it is um you know do you have the confidence in the skill set to take care of that and take care of your dog. You know, we all have a responsibility to our dog and there's so many dangers out there that, you know, could happen that, you know, we, we owe it to ourselves to educate ourselves to uh, be prepared for when that dog runs into trouble or we'd run into trouble um, because, you know, your dog's not gonna be able to get out of there if you can't get out of there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and so you do need to be prepared and, and also just because you have learned something or practiced something in, in the past, refresh the the learning experience go back and do a new course always learn to do something better because it's amazing how you think something's in the back of your mind that it's in the toolbox that you can always you know refer back to and then when it actually happens oh man it's been five ten years since i took that first aid course i i have the tools but i can't remember exactly the best protocol to use them and uh, what's interesting is, you know, you're talking about these these books and these stories, but the story behind the story is what's interesting. And and obviously, I didn't know George or Kay, but I, I can't help but imagine because of the life that he led and as serious as, and devoted as he was to his dogs, uh, that he's not looking down on us, smiling, that, you know, there's still some kind of influence with people such as yourself to do an event like this to where it might not be directly in line or correlated to his book, but it's still, you know, it it was kind of like a, uh, the motivating factor or the, uh, uh, the, uh, I can't even think of the word inspiration. There you go. The inspiration. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word, but Hey, it is what it is. But the inspiration behind an event like this to where, Yes, somebody can buy Troubles with Bird Dogs. It's one of his more common books. You know, it's one of the ones that I have on on my desk, and I've read it, and it is kind of a training manual. You can read that. You can learn from it. But 
something such as your event that that inspired is actually going to help other dog owners, which could also transcend and help future generation dog owners. If somebody learns something that they pass it on, like it's just interesting to know that he wrote this book decades ago and now it's, it's having some sort of impact within the community. Now it's, it's really interesting when you kind of think of it in that lens. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Yeah, and, and you know, kind of if you if you think about it, you know, it's that lifestyle that really kind of connects a lot of us to, you know, the dogs that are part of that lifestyle. Um, and, you know, that's one of the main drivers for the Bird Dog Society is we want to help foster that bird, that lifestyle and, and make bird dog ownership easier because, you know, if you've had a bird dog, you know kind of what it entails. But I mean, even if even a puppy, you know, you think about it, you you kind of forget how much work a puppy is until you get a new one. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so there's so many people that get, you know, these uh, bird dogs as a companion or a house pet and just have no clue that, you know, they think they're just getting a dog that's going to cuddle with them on the sofa, but they're really signing up for a lifestyle that they don't understand. And that's where Bird Dog Society comes in with doing stuff like St. Hubert's trial, have a low entry point where someone can get exposed to field trials or even hunt tests, or, you know, they can get the education because, you know, troubles with bird dogs workshop, you know, we may be focusing on people that hunt, but, you know, there's people that go adventure hiking and stuff with their dog and they can run into trouble just as well, particularly if they're running, um, you know, hiking in rough terrain. Um, and so, so a lot of the resources we provide aren't specific to hunting and we try to purposely make it that way. Um, even though, you know, bird, if you have bird dogs, there's a good chance that you may, you know, uh, a high probability you may be a hunter or at least interested in hunting. Um, but you know, that's why we do stuff like duck diving and, um, lure coursing and stuff like that type of, um, instructional, um, or intro webinars and, and, and topics and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the kind of, yeah, the, if you think about it, my whole love of, old books and literature and authors and, and the history of everything all stems from reading. Well, first learning that I had a direct connection to George Bird Evans. Whenever I was younger, he was just an old guy that showed up on our farm and hunted grouse <laughs> and had dogs. And, you know, I had, I did not know any better. Um, and, uh, until, you know, kind of my, uh, my aunt, you know, told me a little bit more, uh, about, you know, kind of George and, and Kay and old hemlock and, um, and, you know, that kind of sparked, Oh, you know, I knew of George, but I didn't, I didn't know that I even like met him or had a personal connection with him. Um, and so that kind of, you know, started me down this rabbit hole and, and, and now, you know, I've you know got books from authors of all different time eras and, you know, some of them are, are imported from Europe and it's just, you know, it's just, it's kind of just started this whole. Do, do, yeah. do you remember <laughs> what, do you remember what sparked your desire to collect these? Because I mean, this is a full on, like, you're not the only one I've spoken to that like the, the guys that nerd out on these old books, it is a true collector's item. Like you have people, like it's like an underground, like people are secretive on how they find these books, where to go, what to look for. Uh, do you remember what sparked this interest? Did you, did somebody just like give you a book and you're like, man, this is really cool. I want to go find the next one. It, it actually kind of did. Um, you know, my, my aunt, cause I, w I was talking it was actually um, my aunt runs a nonprofit up in West Virginia, and actually, whenever I was working, um, you know, kind of brainstorming everything for the Bird Dog Society, I asked her, "So, what's some some advice about running a nonprofit?" And I was talking to her, and she had, you know, uh, mentioned Old Hemlock Foundation, and I was familiar with George and Old Hemlock Foundation, and she was talking about it like she she knew um, more about it than I did, and I was like. Are you, wait a minute, are you talking about like the George Bird Evans Old Hemlock Foundation? And she's like, yeah, you know, George and Kay was up here all the time hunting, you know, on the farm. And, and um, you know, my aunt worked with Lee J. Garofius, who was, you know, um, George's neighbor. And I was like, wait, wait what? 
you know, is this the guy that, you know, came up, the old guy (laughs) to me? And uh, she's like, yeah. Um, And uh, and, uh, I was like, I had no idea. Um, and, uh, she's like, well, I've got some of his books up the house. Let me go get one. And, um, and so she went up and it was actually Catherine Harper's, um, book, um, you know, talking about George and Kate's life. Uh, and, and I read that and I was just addicted to it. I like, I couldn't put it down. Um, and, you know, kind of talked about his, his time as being an illustrator for uh, Cosmo magazine and living in New York, but, you know, kind of always having this pool to, um, you know, be in the grouse woods and, and then, you know, his time in the Navy and, and, uh, um, and just kind of, you know, his start into, um, um, writing upland books and articles and his kind of personal spats with the West Virginia DNR about how they should manage <laughs> grouse and stuff. And you know, I was just so fascinated with it. And I was like, Oh, I've got to, you know, get another one. And, and it, I, I, I started out with this plan that, you know, I would, while I'm reading one book, I'll buy the next book that I'm going to read. And I just did that for a little, little while. And it got to the point I was buying more books than I can read. Um, but you know, kind of your point, you know, a lot of these books are collectors. I Georgia's books are, are fairly uh, recent, so they can you know tolerate reading. So you can actually get the book and read it without worrying about damaging it. Um, a lot of the books that I have from the early uh, 1900s and, and 18, you know, late 1800s, uh, a lot of those books are not in the condition you would actually read them. So they mm. really are just a collector's item uh, that you occasionally maybe just um, open up to look at the signature. Or, you know, kind of um, you kind of put your hands on it, so to speak, you know, um, are, you don't, are there like, yeah, are there like printout versions or updated versions yeah, that you can and, read them though? Yeah. And so, um, typically if you want to read that book, if you buy a first additional old, you know, I, like I've got books from the 1800s, but I'll never read those, those particular books. But most of these books have uh, reprints. Some of them have been reprinted 10, 15 times and you can buy those very cheap. And so you buy the book that you want to collect. And then if you want to read it, you then you just buy a cheap reprint for 10 bucks. Um, and that's the one you read uh, because mm-hmm. the content is going to be the same. Um, but you know, this, a lot of these books won't, won't um, handle uh, repeated use like uh, kind of this, this book right here, uh, tumults uh, on the mountains. Um, this is a book about logging in West Virginia from the 1700s into the early 1900s. Um, and talking about, you know, all those big trees and the Shea locomotives and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that book was, uh, published in 1964, which the original first edition is up there on my shelf. This one here is actually the 12th printing, uh, okay. published in 2008. Um, so this is the one I read the other one, you know, I, I've barely cracked open because yeah. it's, it's the kind of the, the historian of the group. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, I've got several books like that where you know it's I I can't wait to read them, but um, the book is not in the condition that you know I would want to want to break it open. Yeah. But most of these books, the reprints are are very reasonably priced. You can go on um, you know a lot of places online, um, A Books and eBay and and stuff like that, and get a lot of these books for a very uh, reasonable price. Um, if, and, uh, if somebody so, listening to this actually like this is appealing to them, it's speaking their language, you know sparking that interest like we were talking about a second ago is there a place online that they can go to to just kind of get the ball rolling like a good resource to where if you actually want to start looking at first edition books uh go to this website or this resource or is it just kind of like everything else like go google it look around start asking around you know just kind of give somebody a a nudge in the right direction yeah, there's not really a whole lot of resources to tell you, hey, these are the books to target, and these are things to kind of look out for um, to make sure that you are getting a true first edition. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the places that sell um, books will say that they're first edition, but they're really not, um, or they'll say that they're a signed copy, uh, and you look at it, and the signature is not even the author's signature. It's you know whoever owned the book gave it to their nephew for Christmas or something. Oh. Um, and so you got to look out for those kind of things. There's not a great resource for that, uh, but if you Google them, um, usually eBay and uh, A Books is going to pop up. There's several other resources. A lot of auction houses uh, will have a lot of these books. Um, yeah, right now I'm trying to get a book. Um, uh, I'm not going to give out too many details. I <laughs> See, me, but, it's like uh, hiding it's a, hunting spots, yeah. man. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was a, a book that was um, personally signed over to the governor of Bermuda. Um, and so 
but you know, if you go on and just search them, the biggest thing is just kind of look what's out there, look at the prices. Uh, if they if they don't have pictures, that might be a warning sign. Um, if they do have pictures, make sure you look at every one uh, because you may look at them. And, oh, this this is a great book, this great price, and you get to the last part of it, and it's the book in pieces because you know the 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 covers falling off of it, or you know you get to the last picture, or, or you read. Uh, the full description in the last sentence is like, oh, a, a six-year-old got an ink pen and scribbled all over the book. <laughs> um, and, and so you do kind of have to be careful about that. And once you've kind of looked online and kind of scouted things out, you start to get a understanding of what certain books are going for. Uh, because some books, um, even though they're um, newer, maybe more rare, um, because they weren't printed as much. Um, you know, for example, I've got some uh, Mark Jeffrey Volk books up there. Um, they were printed in the late uh, 1990s and early 2000s, but they're difficult to get your hands on some of them uh, just because whenever they were printed, they only printed 100 of them. Um, and whereas other books, maybe 2,500 copies of the first edition out there. Um, so you do run into some of that. Um, um, and then you know, kind of, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those deals that you kind of have to make sure that you're. Uh, uh, looking at all the fine print and the details to make sure that when you buy it, you're actually happy with the purchase. Um, because it, it's almost like people that get, uh, love to get yard selling. They get the high from buying something that is of value to them that they got at a bargain price and, and collecting books is somewhat part of that too. Um, sometimes you do pay more than you want to, but you really want the book, uh, just because of the history behind it. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, I, I'll find a first edition book and it's the, same price as a 12th edition print uh and the author doesn't really or the seller doesn't really know the value of the book and you're like oh my gosh you know is this real and then you sit there <laughs> look literally all right so what's the catch here what what's what am i missing here um and uh and sometimes you just kind of find that you know kind of diamond in the rough and um and those are, are those are just like you know harvesting your first bird or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice find there. Well, yeah. <laughs> if, if if somebody were to ask you like, what is your prized possession in the book collection? Like, what's your trophy? What's the first one that comes to mind that it's just like, man, I can't believe I found that one, or I or maybe you found it for a deal that you just couldn't imagine. Like, what's the one that stands out to you? Uh. Well, I mean, it maybe isn't a, a prize one, but um, uh, well, the the, the George Burt, um, uh, Burton Spiller uh, book signed over to uh, Philip Babcock. That's pretty cool because it, it has two authors in one book, uh, and it's you know it's kind of a conversation between uh, two people. So I, that one is pretty high up there. Uh, but whenever I was doing my George Burt uh, Evans collection, um, I had all of his books, and the one that I was having trouble finding. Uh, was one of his more recent books, which was uh, Grouse and Woodcock in the Blackwater and Canadian. Um, and really, out of all of his books, that's the one I wanted to read the most because that's where I grew up. Um, uh, and, and George hunted a lot of the covers that I hunted um, growing up and still hunt to this day. Um, and uh, and so I was really interested to see you know where he was um, basically telling the world that he hunts in the Blackwater and Canaan. I was like, is that why my spots are overcrowded now? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just kind of, you know, I've walked in a lot of the same covers as him. And, and that book was the last one that I got to complete the collection. And it was the hardest one for me to find. Um, since then, I found them, you know, it seems like they're all over the place now. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of really had to look out, look for that one. Um, and, and, and so those are two that kind of, um, uh, stand out to me so. when you're walking those covers especially after reading and, and kind of diving into you know what what he was writing about are you out there hunting do your does your mind kind of go back to some of these books and recognize that you're hunting along the side of uh, alongside the ghost of george bird evans like you know t tell me like does that actually hit you in the middle of a hunt or do you just kind of reflect back on it when you're drinking your glass of bourbon at the end of the hunt a little bit of both. Um, it kind of depends on where I'm hunting. Um, you know, on our farm up in West Virginia, where George um, hunted, it was one of his favorite places to hunt towards the later years of his life. Uh, and he kind of ma mainly stick to the roads and the dogs, you know, kind of went into the covers. But, you know, it's really uh, rough country um, uh, where our farm is at. And I mean, it's it's the mountain that it's on is the very last mountain in Chestnut Ridge Range, which George um, held so fondly. Uh, but both sides of the mountain are um, 
uh, flanked by two river gorges. Um, so a lot of giant rocks, cliffs, um, very um, kind of rough terrain, particularly for someone that's in their 90s. You know, um, <laughs> you know George hunted up there in his late 80s, early 90s, um, uh, which is just incredible to think about. Um, but uh, uh, but I also have um, George Bird Evans's um, journal, a copy of his journal. Um, he was a very big journaler, wrote everything down in his book. Um, you know, all the way down to his shooting statistics and, you know, his percentage of hits on grouse flying away or quartering two and, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, having read those entries where he hunted on our property and, and made hand sketches, oh, this is experience. And his hand sketches are pretty, pretty famous amongst uh, collectors. Um, you know, he, he would write in his journal and, you know, being an artist, he would just sketch, you know, this is the, instead of a picture, you have this hand sketch of, you know, this dog, you know, uh, pointing into a bush and two woodcock coming out the backside or something like that. And, um, and, uh, um, and so whenever I look at his entries into our property, I can tell you exactly almost what tree he was standing by when, you know, he wrote about, you know, the, the chestnut ridge and, you know, the landscape and stuff like that. And, and that's, that's really where I get a lot of uh, connection to him. But, um, you know, the overlap in the covers I hunt in West Virginia and what George hunted is, um, is, is quite significant. Um, mm. And unfortunately, uh, if George was looking down on us right now, he would probably be grumbling about how low the grouse numbers are. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the thing of it was, is the last real peak that hit uh, our area up in West Virginia um, was really in that kind of early 2000 range. Um, and unfortunately George wasn't around to see that. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that was, you know, kind of the last peak that, you know, I really kind of, you know, went out and, you know, hunting grouse was, um, you know, something where you felt like, you know, there, there's birds out there to hunt. Uh, whereas now you go out there and, and you, you see a few birds, but, you know, you almost, you know, don't want to shoot the bird because, you know, there's, there's so few out there. Um, and, uh, but they're still great to work the dogs on. And there's still pockets in West Virginia where you can get into some decent grouse, uh, but, you know, they're really isolated pockets. And, and, and so, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, reading a lot of that and going out there hunting now is a little bit depressing sometimes too, when you think about you know, kind of what they were able to experience and compared to what you're experiencing, um, and just kind of some of the, how things have gotten to where they're at, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, and obviously we can relate a lot to that here where we are in the southeast. And and it just kind of, man, if you could go back in time and get, you know, the West Virginia DNR to maybe listen to some of the gripes that uh, George had and, and his advice on managing, you know, who's to say that there still wouldn't be more birds on the landscape if, if people like him and, and others, it wasn't just George kind of uh, advocating for the bird, but it is what it is, you know, uh, Southern app grouse, you know, that's, that's an entire episode and weeks worth yeah. of episodes. To well, well, I will about. have to shout out to the West Virginia DNR though, cause George wasn't right on every one of his right. points that he argued. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we know a lot more about grouse now than what uh, George had available back then. But you know, a lot of the stuff that he, he anecdotally had in his journals and stuff, um, and some of it, there's definitely some truth to it. And, so yeah well you can't be right about everything right especially back in those <laughs> well, days hindsight <laughs> is 2020 right <laughs> absolutely absolutely so you know another thing is obviously we don't have to d dive too deep into this where did uh what one thing that's funny every time you and i link up it's obviously we don't live in the same area so anytime we link up usually one or both of us are traveling and every time you go somewhere you're showing up with a brand new bottle of bourbon. <laughs> and so you have a, a nice, it's another hobby, right? It's, it's another thing that uh, a lot of upland hunters can kind of fall, fall, uh, into the same group, but, uh, bourbon aficionados, you know, what, what is it about the bourbon that appealed to you so much? Well, you know, it's bourbon and tequila are both kind of um, something I like to sip on at the end of a day or at the end of a hunt or around a campfire. Um, and, and certainly I have too many hobbies and the wife will be the first one to <laughs> say that. Um, but, you know, with, with, with that, it's just a lot of this, um, the bourbon and, and, and tequila, um, I just find it you find a good one and it's just so pleasurable to drink it. And sometimes it might be a 10, 15, 20 year old bottle. Uh, and, and there you go, 
you know, kind of, you know, how the, if you think about the history and, and I, I hated history in school, but, you know, the, the older I get, the more I start to appreciate the history that I, uh, you know, want to learn about. Um, but, you know, just to kind of learn about the craft and, and, and how, uh, the bourbon and everything is made and aged and particularly like, you know, tequila as well, you know, the different ways that they made it, you know, mezcals and tequila in, in, in Mexico and, and just kind of, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just fascinating to me. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's just, uh, really it, that was something I got into before I had kids. Um, and now that I have a, a little one running around, it's a little harder to do some of these hobbies, but, um, <laughs> particularly the, uh, my bourbon and tequila, you know, I, I go through phases where um, I'll do more collecting than I do consuming, and then I go through a phase where I'll do more consuming than I do collecting. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I guess I, I can, would have to say some of my buddies got me kind of hooked on that, that you know, collect. I, I've got buddies that have um, a bourbon budget uh, of monthly that uh, their their wife won't let them spend more than that <laughs> i can tell you that their bourbon budget is more than what a lot of people pay for a car payment if oh good car, lord so. yeah um but uh but yeah so part of it is you know kind of a, a hobby through association with certain people yeah um, so and, but, and uh, I, I would agree with that while you know obviously i'm not the biggest uh bourbon aficionado or collector by any means you know i, I went through through a time to where it really intrigued me. And, and to your point, it was more about the historical culture and the lifestyle behind it. You know, you start getting into the prohibition era and the shiners, especially down where we are in the Southeast and, and how even NASCAR kind of got its starts and roots from that. You know, it's a really interesting thing, but I mean, again, the, the hunting community and, and upland hunters, especially that it's, it kind of just goes hand in hand to where you start looking at some of these old decanters, you start looking at some of these old marketing, you know, uh, mirrors and billboards and 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 billiards and all this stuff that you go into a bar and you start seeing rough grouse going across you know the paps blue ribbon the the beer signs and uh once upon a time you know the the upland hunting and and just hunting culture in general used to be a little bit more prevalent in in you know just general society and uh it's interesting to look back at some of these things and just man like that that used to be marketing. Now you're lucky if you even come across some of the older ones that people don't, you know, hide and, and, uh, don't want to display in fear of upsetting, upsetting the non hunters. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, I see your, uh, coil decanter there in the back, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of bourbon scheme and collectible, um, bird dog and upland hunting and waterfowl related decanters back in the day. Um, and it was just kind of a, a definitely a prevalent, you know, culture and you know, kind of the, the history of it occurred up in West Virginia. There's no shortage of uh, mountain whiskey, um, up there. And, you know, I remember, uh, fishing along the riverside and there'd be so much moonshine available. You just <laughs> light it on fire and you know, use that to tell if you're getting a, a hit or not. But, um, but yeah, and, and, and really for me now, um, the bourbon and tequila is just, you know, I like to take a nice bottle and have it with good friends around a campfire after a hunt or, you know, when we're on a trip or something like that, because it's, you know, a whiskey or a tequila or a wine or whatever your, you know, kind of, um, choices, um, vices. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it always tastes better in good company. Um, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of them where I was like, man, this is some great stuff. And, you know, it was really, and whenever I try it later by myself, I was like, this isn't as good as I remember. And <laughs> this, it's always the company and the environment of what you drink. The setting really and the environment. Of, yeah. yeah. So, the placement, um, uh, and, and again, you know, what, what we're, I still want to get to the actual updates for Bird Dog Society, but this is, uh, we couldn't talk about like common interests and hobbies within the space without, of course, talking shotguns. And uh, I know that you got bit <laughs> by this bug, especially more than me, anybody that's listened to this podcast. I love shotguns for what they are. It just doesn't capture me like it captures a lot of other people. Like, I appreciate the functionality of it. Does it shoot well? Does it fit well? And I will recognize a good-looking shotgun in my eyes, right? If I look at a shotgun, I'm like, I like that shotgun, or I don't like that shotgun just the way it looks. I can't really even verbalize or put into words why I may like it or dislike it. I just know I like it or dislike it. But man, you, you shotgun guys, you get shotgun junkies. It's like, it, it kind of hits on an entirely different level for you guys. And, uh, I, I can, 
I can empathize and understand because I'm that way with other things in life, just not shotguns. It's uh, what is it about the shotguns that appeals to you? You know, you can't speak for everybody, but what is it about them that captures your imagination? Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't say that I would, I'm a shotgun aficionado, um, but I, I, I appreciate a nice looking shotgun. For, for me, a lot of it is aesthetics. And, um, you know, we, we've been talking about history of books and bourbon and everything else. And the one thing I haven't yet gotten into, and, and probably the wife would be very sad if I did, because she says I'm a very expensive guy, but, <laughs> um, it, is the old shotguns. Um, and so most of my shotguns are newer, um, usually, you know, kind of, you know, have that elegant engraving, you know, they're pleasant to look at as well as pleasant to shoot. Um, you know, even though a shotgun looks good, I'm not going to buy it if it doesn't fit me well and it isn't going to shoot well. Um, you know, so function is first and foremost, but, um, I, I just like having a, a shotgun that is, uh, easy on the eyes. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of times, you know, when you, when you get to those shotguns, um, you know, you, you also have a lot of functionality built into them too. So they're usually high performance shotguns and, and dependable and stuff. Not to, not to say that, you know, um, you can't go and, and buy a, a CZ shotgun or a Frankie shotgun. And that's, you know, it's, it's going to, you know, a nice expensive shotgun that looks pretty, doesn't shoot any better than those shotguns a lot of times. And so it's just a matter of, you know, preference, you know, what, yeah. what do you, what do you want? What makes you happy? Um, and, and for me, I, I like the things that sparkle and look pretty <laughs> when it comes to shotguns. So. And, and uh, I, I really appreciate the craftsmanship of it. Like, you know, I, I spent a little time with up at Dell Whitman's place, uh, this past season. And while, you know, while it doesn't capture me, like it captures so many other people, I can sit there and watch somebody such as Dell work on the shotguns. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, I can really appreciate the, the discipline or just the knowledge and the skill set that it takes to make something as intricate and fine as a good quality shotgun. And so while the looks and all that stuff, it is what it is. It's subjective eye of the beholder. Uh, I have all the utmost respect for the people that can just with their own hands, sit down and create something and, and just kind of how it matches up between the wood and the metal. I can appreciate that. And, but like I said, like it doesn't transfer over to the actual shotgun. And, and I, I don't know if I just, I don't have that gene. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, that's just kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. I think one thing that I really like is a shotgun that has good wood on it. Um, and you know, the metal work, I, I, I like it. And, uh, a lot of the guns are, you know, kind of um, machine engraved and then hand finished a lot of times, um, you know, and so, uh, but the wood, I don't know, something just always stands out about a classic wood stock that has good grain and good character, uh, good contrast. Uh, and, uh, in, and I guess I give more emphasis on the wood than I do uh, the metal, um, but the metal certainly complements it. There's a, you know, there's a marriage between wood and metal when it comes to a nice fine shotgun. Um, and, and a lot of me, it kind of comes back to the, the whole process of which these guns are made. And, you know, I think about, oh, this was a tree that, you know, a, a walnut tree or an, an <laughs> right. oak tree standing in the middle of forest in Turkey or, or, you know, Italy, or, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, and, uh, now it's, you know, this beautiful piece of, um, uh, uh, it's a beautiful tool that, you know, you admire and other people admire and, and, and you're going to have for the rest of your life, hopefully, and, and you can literally pass down to your son or your, your daughter or, you know, some um, family member or friend. So, mm -hmm. well, I mean, again, as we start kind of nearing the end and, and coming in for a landing here, you know, we can talk about any one of these topics all day long, especially I know with you and your books and you getting into, you know, before this date, it was at this publishing house. And after that date, it was at that publishing house. Like, I think I, I sent you a, a picture of a book that I got that somebody just gave me. And you're like, what edition? What, what year? Oh, that was, and you gave me like an entire background on that book. And I'm like, I, I'm just impressed that you know this off the top of your head. Like it, it, there wasn't enough time for you to go Google it and regurgitate it to me. I'm like, he actually knew this. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, you you get into first editions, but then you kind of get in a, a real big rabbit hole when you start getting the special editions and limited editions and, <laughs> and trade show editions and you know um, you know uh, review copies and stuff like that. And so there's really, if you really collect a, a book, there's there's so, a lot of iterations too that you can have value. Um, like my collection of George Bird Evans books is, you know, there's his original. Uh, Troubles with Bird Dogs book published by Winchester Press, and then there's the one published by Old Hemlock Press, which is George's personal uh, press, which was, um, uh, he didn't own the press, but he used the, um, a press in Terra Alta called Pioneer Press, which is now out of business, but uh, but then, like, I'll even collect some of the different iterations of, like, first edition or limited edition, like, oh, this is the one with the red cover, first edition. <laughs> oh, this is the green cover, special edition, you know, that was, you know, uh, supported or requested by some you know sportsman's club in new jersey or something um yeah it, it kind of speaking of that you know that can, kind of came to mind because the amwell press uh books which are amwell books are also very high collector um uh, edition books and um some of uh, george's books were amwell books um gene hill's got some amwell books and so a lot of people will just collect you know uh, books from Amwell or Dairydale Press or some other, mm. you know, kind of press as well. So. Just, just goes to show, man, whatever floats your boat, whatever interests you in any space, you can go get into the weeds on any of this stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it's just amazing how, like, if you really want to dive deep on anything, uh, you know, most people that maybe hadn't gotten bit by the bug of, of vintage shotguns or bourbon or books, they may, might be like, well, you know, it, it superficial level it's like oh you know they're books right but when you start digging down into it it's like oh the books that have been around for 70 years that they almost have like an entire story of its own just to get to where they're still being printed today yeah and really you know a lot of these hobbies are are just a release you know from my career and and personal life you know i can i can take five minutes or 10 minutes and, and scroll online to see, Oh, what, what books are out there right now? Or, or, you know, you know, I could, you know, see if I see a liquor store while I'm on the way to the Grosswoods or something, <laughs> I was like, especially in another state, I'm going to stop. Oh, what do they have that we can't get, um, you know, back home and stuff like that. And so it's just kind of a, you know, you, you could do a short kind of tangent stuff and, and, and then come back to real life and then have to, you yeah. know, <laughs> do work and be a responsible adult and so um you know just kind of the same reason we 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 hunt and fish and have bird dogs um you know those are kind of more um big releases and and you know my books and and bourbon and stuff are just kind of short uh short releases as far as from the stress of daily life so yeah uh but well, talking about all these interests and, of course, you know, again, the commonalities between the average uh, upland hunter, you know, any of these topics can snag uh, the upland hunter in some way, shape or form, uh, bringing everybody back together around what I think really, truly binds us together, are the dogs and uh, what you guys are doing at Bird Dog Society. Y'all, you guys have been doing a lot of a lot of good stuff, and you guys have a lot of good things planned and, and coming down the pipe. So why don't we go ahead and catch everybody up on this, and we can kind of wrap this update up. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, and, and first, you know, we're, we're in our second year at the Bird Dog Society, uh, so that's the reason to kind of celebrate. Um, but, you know, we are a 100% volunteer organization, um, so if there's anybody out there listening that, you know, has liked what they hear about the bird dog society or like what we're doing, you know, we're certainly looking for people to get plugged into the organization. And, you know, particularly if you have a lot of time on your hands or a specific talent that uh, could be useful. Um, and so if that's, if that's you, um, and, uh, you want to be a part of it, definitely reach out to us. Um, info at bird dog society.com is, is, is how you can reach out or go to our website, uh, which is bird dog society.org. Um, but in our second year, we have a lot of great stuff, um, planned that we're, we're super excited about. Um, of course we'll be in pheasant, uh, at pheasant fest in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, uh, I'm leaving uh, mid next week to go out there for that. Um, and so we'll get to see a lot of, a lot of our, um, uh, bird dog, community out there and, and if you're around definitely stop by booth 602 um that, that'll be the bird dog society booth and uh we're right beside bass pro shops so i'm sure bass pro shops will have a big sign there um so uh that'll be one way to, to find us a little bit easier um but we got some really cool shirts designed from an artist out of south um, south carolina uh, that we'll have available we'll have some hats uh we also have a hand sketched portrait of a dog um 
um, which we'll be raffling off. Not that particular one, but you can actually get a raffle uh, for you to have your own dog hand sketch uh, by an artist that we'll be raffling off. Um, and so if that's something that uh, uh, you're interested in, uh, definitely stop by our booth there. Um, or if you just want to talk about bird dogs and BDS and stuff, um, you know, we, 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 we love to talk about, uh, about the dogs. Um, and we'll actually have uh, Manu, my dog, will be there. Uh, and we'll, um, I think that we're also going to have a uh, – uh, 11 week old Gordon Sutter uh, there. Um, and so if you just want to come and uh, scratch a dog's ear, uh, that'll be the booth to come to as well. Um, but then following um, Pheasant Fest, we have our second annual shed hunt. Um, that'll be here in North Carolina. Uh, it's an event just to kind of introduce people into shed hunting with their dogs. That's a great activity to do when all the hunting seasons are closed and you're still trying to figure out how you're going to survive the off season. Um, and uh, um, that'll be here in North Carolina on the um, uh, Butner Falls game lands, same place we had it last year. Um, so we have a permit to, to place sheds over 700 acres of um, public land. Um, and those sheds are going to have identifiers on them. And uh, it's going to be kind of like a grown-up Easter egg hunt, a uh, fun time with your dog. Uh, you find antler that has a specific uh, number on or whatever. Uh, it may be connected to a prize that you win uh, at the end of the day. Um, and we're also this year a little bit different than last year's. We're going to actually have a, a, a field set up where you can actually go out. A lot of these dogs that we had last year and never you know, really messed with shed hunting, never seen a shed, never had one in their mouth. So we're actually going to have a field set up um, with planted sheds where the sheds are actually going to be marked. So the handler knows where the sheds are at. Um, and it'll be a way to expose the dog before they actually go out and try to find the sheds with the numbers on it. Um, and, and these sheds will have a little bit of um, wax on them called rack wax. Um, so they have a specific signature, very similar to what a natural shed would be like. Um, so it could be training uh, for the real thing uh, when you go home and you can go out and hunt for these sheds. Um, there's antlered deer in every state in the U.S., um, so you can do shed hunting just about anywhere. There are certain states that the regulations are a little bit more strict on, um, so you do have to find that. But it is a great activity. Uh, I went shed hunting with my dog last week, and uh, I walked three and a half miles, and my dog ran. I don't know. My my Garmin app didn't didn't uh, uh, follow it, but he, he probably at least ran 15 miles looking for sheds. Uh, and we found some few woodcock <laughs> along the way. Nice. So, um, but then uh, – you know, kind of um what were the dates the, on that shed hunt so the shed hunt um so the shed hunt is uh, march 9th um and uh and that'll start i think at eight or nine nine in the morning um and so space is limited so uh if people want to do that uh, they'll definitely want to sign up for it soon i think it's about half full right now um and so one thing when we when we do events we try to like keep we like to keep groups small so there's more interaction and more um um you kind of uh, conversations and, and, and better connections between the people too. Um, but then after that, um, we have a webinar coming up in, in April. Uh, that webinar will be teaching people how to photograph their dogs. Uh, we have a professional photographer from Virginia um, that that's actually her business is to photograph um, pets and animals and, and, and stuff like that. And so she'll be coming on to teach you how to take better images for your dog so you can remember, um, you know, those uh, uh, special moments with your dog uh, better. Um, and then um, that, um, don't quote me on that. Let me let me look that up real quick. Um, and that will be on April the 11th or 18th. Um, so, uh, but if you go to our website, birddogsociety.org, you'll, you'll see the date there. Just click on events and you'll see all the events that I'm talking about now. Um, I'll, and then ha I'll have, have the, the links to these signups in the show notes on this. So anybody's wanting to know, just look down below. Um, and then, um, kind of to the finish off the first half of the year, uh, in May on May 4th is when our troubles with bird dogs workshop, uh, will be held in, um, in Northern West Virginia and Bruce Mills area. So that, that'll kind of encompass that Western Maryland, um, Southern PA type area, Northern West Virginia. Um, but you know, that's going to be a full day event. We have two local vets. Uh, one of the vets was actually George Bird Evans's personal vet when uh, George was around. Um, so there's a lot of connections to George, um, in this, uh, workshop. Um, so if you're a history nut and, or just a big nut, and about grouse hunting and, and woodcock hunting this this is the event for you um and again space is limited on that um, that uh, event is capped at 30 people uh, and then right now uh, we're almost half full on registrations on that even though we just opened it so uh, definitely don't delay on on that event otherwise you might miss out 
Uh, but really, kind of first half of 2024, that's uh, that's what we have on the agenda. Uh, we're working on various things for the second half of the year and and uh, putting some details in place for, for 2025 as, as well. So, mm. Are you all still cranking out uh, webinars currently? Uh, we, we've kind of slowed on the webinars a little bit. Um, we, we do have the one in April coming up. Um, the, uh, I, I think people ha are having a little bit of uh, Zoom fatigue. Uh, from, <laughs> Imagine from, that. Um, yeah, from, uh, from everything with uh, COVID and stuff like that. Um, but right now we have uh, all of our previous webinars are recorded and up on our website. Um, so if you're a BDS member, you can log on to there and click on resources and you should see a video archive and all of our past webinars are there. Uh, we will still be doing webinars, but probably won't be on a, quite a monthly basis like we were previously doing. Uh, we're going to focus kind of more on, on topics that, you know, kind of really have a big draw uh, as far as what people want to learn about, uh, like first aid and, and trauma training and, and stuff like that um, are, are big ones that a lot of people want to hear about. Um, and traps is another one. So we probably have webinars coming up for them, but we don't have dates and uh, speakers lined up just yet on those. Um, but we do have a workshop that we did back in September. Um, it was uh, introducing um, to hunt, introducing people to hunting with their bird dog. Um, and so we covered uh, woodcock hunting, quail hunting, and waterfowl hunting. Uh, we did record that whole workshop, and some of those videos are in that archive as well. Uh, we'll be adding more um, this week or next week to that archive uh, from that workshop as well. So right now, I think we're, we have um, roughly 17 to 20 hours worth of content on our website that people can go look at um and then uh, you know as we do webinars we'll continue to record those and put those on there as well so love it love it well you guys are staying busy as always and and like i said you know that i i, I try and uh promote you guys as often as i can because i believe in what you guys are doing and and you guys are truly out there just to try and make uh every all every dog's life better that you can and and by extension that improves the handler and and it's just it, the fact that y'all get creative and do different types of events, it's not just the same old, same old. So I'm, I'm happy to support you guys how I do. And uh, anybody interested, by all means, sign up, check them out, volunteer if you want. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can help out. And like you said, you guys are 100% volunteer. So if, if this kind of intrigues you in some way, shape or form, then uh, reach out to Jim and get involved. Yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate your support, Nick. Um, I mean, listening to you over the, the many years I've listened to you, um, you, you definitely uh, encompass a lot of what the Bird Dog Society uh, hopes to accomplish as far as, you know, uh, living living that lifestyle and getting involved and getting out there and, and being part of the community um, and kind of, you know, giving back and, and being a person of action. And so uh, we really appreciate your uh, help with that. So. Absolutely. Well, well, if there's nothing else, we can go ahead and tie a bow on this one and, uh, you know, check back after uh, Pheasant Fest. We'll do another update, you know, down the road here in a month or two and, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you here, here pretty soon at the uh, big old Pheasant Fest trade show. Yeah, next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys, thanks, all right. Uh, thanks as always for joining in. We'll talk soon. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.